Hey gorgeous, this is episode number 127 and today we are having the amazing Matthew Kimberley back on the show. Hi, this is Matthew Kimberley and you're listening to Heart Cells Podcast with Christine Schlomsky. Enjoy. I can't wait to dive in to another amazing interview with Masley Kimberley with a lot of fun and flow. And today we are talking about selling is a skill that you can acquire. And I am 100% sure that Matthew and I have the same opinion. We both believe that sales can be learned. As a matter of fact, I believe that you can really sell with ease, grace, confidence, asking your price by making the quote that I always say, sales is love come true by just serving more from your heart. But let's see what Matthew has to say about this. Matthew is somebody who helps small business owners enjoy more fun, freedom and flow. He is the creator of professional persuasion, delightful emails and the single malt mastermind. He is the host of How to Get a Grip podcast and he also wrote the book with the same name how to get a grip by matthew kimberley let's dive in for more fun flow all around sales and let's enjoy this episode well i am so excited to have you back on the show matthew welcome are you kidding the pleasure is entirely mine i've been looking <laughs> forward to this for days yes this the, our first interview has been so much fun and you shared already so many golden nuggets and i really hope that our listeners got that that they really sat down with a pen and paper and took notes because that will save them so much time, effort, money, if they follow along what you, what you actually taught. And today I would love to dive into your sales career because you mentioned that you started very, very early on. So do you remember the very first thing you've ever sold in your life? Yeah, it was myself. Um, I think, you know, there may have been trading uh, marbles or something in the playground, but it was really myself. I was a juggler as a young man. I can still juggle, but I used to do it. It was a hobby of mine. It was a passion. I could unicycle and juggle and throw flames and knives cool. and things like that. <laughs> and uh, I realized that, hey, as I got to a certain age, about 14, 15, I, I wanted money. You know, my dad and my mum were not very wealthy, pocket money didn't stretch nearly as far as I wanted it to. And so I said, I'm going to take a leap into the unknown and I'm going to go and juggle in the street and see if anybody gives me some money. And so I went to a small town near where I lived in the south of England. It wasn't a, a tourist destination, it was just a small town. And I put my hat on the floor in front of me and I juggled and I came home with some money. And I thought it was the best thing ever. I was like, woohoo. Uh, and then I spent the money and I was like, ah, oh, I need more money. How can I get more money? So I tried a different approach. Um, and I, because I was more confident, it was my second time out there, I started chatting to people as they went by, and talking, flirting, making eye contact, you know, building connection or rapport, I guess now is what it was doing. Um, but most importantly, I said, hey, if you enjoy the show, I'd love it if you threw some money in my hat. And I said that to everybody. And it started to become my refrain. I was like, money for the juggler. If you enjoy the show, throw a pound in the hat. Five pounds if you're feeling generous. And it went on like this. And my takings just, I mean, they must more than tripled from the previous time. I mean, I made considerably more per hour. And so I thought, well, <laughs> I'm clearly an evil genius. How can I make even more money? And so I hired my first employee ever. 
was a kid called Ben. Next Saturday, my friend Ben, uh, I said, hold the hat, walk up to people and ask them to put money in the hat. And so rather than our, in, you know, getting people to come to us, we actually took the sale to them. And I paid Ben for his time and it was the best, you know, that was the, that was the strategy. That was wow. the strategy that worked. Wow. So I would juggle, he would walk up to people, look them in the eye and say, money for the juggler. It wasn't a very sophisticated sales pitch, but it worked, right? Um, so that was really my first lesson in understanding the psychology of selling. And then fast forward a few years after some bar work and uh, I worked in a bar in Belgium and I worked in a school in Malaysia where I was. Have you seen the film Crazy Rich Asians? No, I haven't. Okay, well, the kids I worked with in Malaysia were crazy rich. I mean, they were insanely rich and I was earning maybe $100 a month plus board and lodging as a, as a kind of teaching intern. And, and it taught me that life is better when you've got money. And that was, that was kind of one of my big openers. There's a, there's a, move, there's a line in the song, Sit Down by James, uh, which is something like, if I hadn't seen such riches, I could live with being poor. And I was like, oh, I'm surrounded by all this opportunity and I can't access any of it. So I said, right, no more teaching for $100 a month. Uh, and I started working in a timeshare business in, which way around was it? Yeah, timeshare in Malta. So I moved to Malta because I met a girl. And at that time, Malta wasn't part of the European Union. So I needed, and I was a British guy. And so I, I couldn't find legal employment. So I needed someone who would either sponsor a visa or turn a blind eye. And the timeshare industry was very happy to turn a blind eye. And they used to pay us offshore into bank accounts that were, a long way away from the Maltese tax man. And the people I worked with were drunk, ugly, stupid, um, terrible, terrible specimens of humanity. And they were some of the best salespeople I've ever met. Uh, and we were taught a very tough, borderline, no, I mean, ethically compromised. It wasn't, there's was nothing borderline about it. It was ethically compromised, very tough, six to eight hour sales pitch uh, where we would get people who had no intention of spending any money when they woke up that morning, drag them out of the sea or their swimming pools, subject them to an eight hour sales presentation. And here's the thing, about 11 or 12% of the time, they would spend an enormous amount of money. And I got out of the industry because it was too much fun and dangerous and I needed to stay alive and keep my marriage alive and all of these things. So I left the industry. Actually, what it was, my mum and dad came to visit and they said, we should come on one of your presentations. And I said, no, you shouldn't. <laughs> and I thought, well, if I wouldn't sell it to my mother, I shouldn't be selling it to somebody else's mother, right? So I was lucky to get out of there. But um, that was where I really learned that selling was uh, a skill that you could acquire because there was a, a very clear system that needed to be followed. We couldn't stray from it. When we went to get our managers at the end of our presentation, um, they said, have you done the rapport building? Have you done the site tour? Have you done the benefits and features? Have you done the, the Benjamin Franklin, Winston Churchill, two sides of the sheet of paper close? Have you showed them the logic? Have you tested the emotion? Have they got their credit card on the table? We was like, I'm going to get my manager, but before we give you the price, we need to know that if it's right for you, then you're in today. Is that right? We did very hard takeaways. If you're not, if, I don't want you walking, because we had a, like a three-day cooling off period or maybe a 10-day cooling off period. And we used to look in the eye and say, if you're even thinking about cancelling, 
it's over between us. I don't want you to sign that paper if your intention is to come back in here. So I need you to promise me that you're not going to change your mind tomorrow. And we get very hard with it. Anyway, so it was a horrible, horrible industry. Um, and But the system is what worked. And if I thought, well, if we could take that to a different industry, which, of course, we do, um, Every single industry has a sales system. You follow the system. It doesn't matter if you're drunk. It doesn't matter if you're stupid. It doesn't matter if you're ugly. These, these fundamentals that we talked about last time, those are in place and you increase the likelihood of your prospect doing the deal. So I learned the importance of asking for the sale in my first street performance job. The, importance, the critical importance of following a foundational system towards the sale in my timeshare job. And then the third big lesson I learned was fast forward a few years, I'd started my own recruitment company in Brussels and we were doing B2B um, cold calling in order to sell highly skilled professionals into short-term contract jobs in places like banks and engineering firms and, and blue chip organizations. And that's when I realized and I used to hire people with, with no skills, drunk, ugly people off the street. It's kind of a history of my a career surrounded by lots of drunk, ugly people. I'd hire them off the streets and train them up in the system because I knew that much. But I noticed then that there was, and this is the bit that people always go, oh, I wish this wasn't true, but it's so true and unpopular, a direct correlation between the number of telephone calls that my guys made and the amount of money that they made. Um, I used to get them to pick up the phone 60 times on the hope that they would be able to connect with 10 to 15 people a day. And they, nobody likes doing that. Nobody likes talking to strangers. Um, I believe I wouldn't recommend cold calling to the vast majority of people that I work with today. There might be one or two industries where it's still appropriate. Recruitment, for example, you kind of just in case services, hey, I'm here. It's not about picking up the phone because everybody does it so badly. If you can do it well, I still believe it's a, it's a great skill. But there was no question that if you didn't pick up the phone, then you didn't make any sales. There was just no question. Um, you'll probably, you've probably heard about, um, your listeners have probably heard about the difference between a lead measure and a lag measure. So what that means is if, if my guy said, I'm going to make 5,000 euros this week in personal income, I'd be like, great, but that's no good as a goal you need to break it down into what needs to happen in order for that outcome. We need to look at input in order to generate output. So I would say fantastic. And so after they'd been with me for six months to 12 months, they would know themselves exactly how much each failed telephone attempt was worth to them. So in order to make 5,000 euros this week or this month or whatever the period of time would be, I'm going to have to have, I'm going to have to make eight offers because I know that two of them will be accepted and each one will be worth two and a half, right? In order to make eight offers, I'm gonna need to get 16 meetings. In order to get 16 meetings, I'm gonna have to have 250 telephone conversations, actual conversations. And in order to have 250 telephone conversations, I'm gonna have to pick up the phone maybe 1,500 times. So what's your goal for the month? Pick up the phone 1,500 times. That's it, because the rest will take care of itself. And after a while, we could measure that. Each call was worth X, Y, and Z. So many people come to me, and this is the bit where people roll their eyes and say, I wish this wasn't true. Forget the cold calling example. It sucks. It's horrible. Nobody likes receiving them. Nobody likes making them. It's fine. But when people come to me, my clients, and say, I'm a bit stuck. I haven't made any sales 
for the last three weeks, four weeks, six weeks, eight weeks. I say, don't worry, that's what I'm here for. Let me ask you this, how many sales offers have you made? How many times have you said, would you like to buy this thing? It costs $100. Normally, the answer is, well, my cat was sick, I didn't have enough leads, I wasn't really feeling it, I was on holiday. So the answer is none. I always say, right. So I think I see a correlation here. You didn't make any sales offers and you didn't make any sales. Is that right? And they say, yeah. And I go, great. Well, my fees start at $15,000, but I don't think you need me because I've just given you the answer. And then when they do you know, make more sales offers, and of course there's more to it, make appropriate sales offers to appropriate people, but making the offer is so important. Not just, that's not the same as asking for the money, that's the same as being active. We've all got a sales muscle. Like every muscle, we need to do lots of reps, lots of push-ups, lots of activity in order to keep it strong. What's also important is form, but form is less important than activity. You can do a bad press-up, and it probably, you probably won't injure yourself, it might, you might not build your muscle as quickly as if you have great form, but the fact that you're using the muscle is the thing that keeps it strong. So worry about using it, then worry about getting better at it. You know, academic learning is useless uh, if it's not coupled with real life experience. Uh, and, and so that was probably the longest answer to the shortest question you've ever received. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I loved it. There was so much wonderful stuff in there. So I worked in high ticket event sales over the phone. So over a decade. So that I kind of did a calculation the other day. Were you doing, were you doing like Tony Robbins stuff, kind of events, like live, live yeah, events? Yeah, differently for CEOs um, and decision makers to come together to do business. Okay. I used to get calls from those people when I was in Belgium as, as a CEO. Um, yeah. There was a company yeah. called C c level or c suite summits or something like that yeah i used to get invited to those some of the best most tenacious salespeople i've ever listened to yeah so so i was in that industry for uh -huh. over a decade so um you know picking up the phone and it's really true what you're saying that muscle because if you don't feel like it right you kind of one day slips away and you haven't really done calls and the next day you don't feel like it because the day before you didn't feel like it so you don't have any success that's right. right. And and I just want to make that point that one phone call can change the whole path you're taking. Because Absolutely. you might not feel like it, but you kind of push you to have a conversation. And all of a sudden in the conversation, you realize, wow, this is my perfect customer. And all of a sudden you enjoy the conversation and you invite them to your offer and they might even buy so your whole perspective can change. That what I love, that's what I love about sales. Like your whole life can change from one minute to the next with somebody saying yes to what you have to offer. Absolutely right. And, and if, if you're listening to this now and you think, well, yeah, I still don't like the idea of picking up the phone. Here's the strategy that I like to use when the product or the service is appropriate. Um, and it's, it's called the it's the blunt force approach. So somebody who has not made any offers for six weeks and hasn't made any sales for six weeks, if their product or service is appropriate, I will send them to the shopping mall. Anywhere where they can walk up to a hundred complete strangers and with no context or no warm up, just make an offer to a hundred strangers. And the offer would typically be something like, hey, I'm a personal trainer. Uh, I'm running a promotion on a package of sessions. Would you be interested? That's the pitch. 
you know, some kind of reason to do it today. There's a promotion, there's an offer, there's a deal. Um, and that's, it. you know, just super simple language. And if you approach a hundred strangers, I've yet to see it not have at least a 1% close rate, right? So yeah. one person will say, oh, that sounds interesting. Tell me what, well, I don't want it, but maybe my wife would be interested. Or, you know, um, I'm a photographer. You have a beautiful family. I'm running a promotion in my studio. Let me give you my details. Would you be interested in booking in a session? You, you use that approach to 100 complete strangers and somebody will say yes. And here's the really interesting thing. The fact that one person says yes completely counteracts the 99 who don't. Yeah. Like, what is the worst that can happen if you make somebody a sales offer and they say no? And can you live with it? And the answer is nothing. There is nothing bad that can happen. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't ruin it for yourself by being pushy, aggressive, not listening to them. But nobody gets offended when you say, would you like to buy a thing? Nobody ever gets offended. They either say yes or no or tell me more. And that's the worst that can happen. So you can experience 99 complete zero impact rejections and walk away with a customer or walk away with two customers or in the case of some of my clients, you know, 10 customers from all kept strangers. And I go, great, now the muscle is working again. Let's work on efficiency. Yeah. So that's where we go to target market. You're not going to the shopping mall anymore. You're going to the yoga studio or you're going to the school gate or you're going to the business or whatever it is but you you know we've got a 10 percent completely cold close rate let's tighten the target market let's get more sophisticated with our pitch and let's you know we can experience much 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 greater results um i'm super excited by that and you could try it you know if you're listening to this and thinking well nobody wants my accounting services coaching services whatever try it just yeah, try it so what, how- they're gonna they're not gonna arrest you yeah. So how can okay. people deal with it? Let's say, you know, they haven't made a sale for quite a while and they are a little bit desperate, you know, money needs to come into the door so they can pay their bills. And the confidence level obviously is not as high as when you just closed a deal. So what, what kind of advice would you have for them to push through that, to really go to the mall and have those conversations? or to pick up the phone or whatever they want to do. Like, how can they get over that, out of that dip? We've um, got to eliminate, we've got to lube it up. We've got to grease the wheels, make it super simple. We've got to eliminate any variables which are going to stand between us and doing it, which is why I like the mall example, because call 100 people means, well, first you've got to find 100 telephone numbers, and mm. then you've got where you're going to get them from. Then you've got to get through the receptionist, which you're not going to do, and, all, and you're not going to have a hundred conversations with decision makers. So try to, there's two approaches. One, if you have experienced success in the past and now you're going through a a bad phase, go straight to the low hanging fruit. The low hanging fruit are your existing network, your previous clients and your existing clients and offer them something more. Then you've got the people who are in your prospect list uh, that just haven't heard from you in a long time. So reactivate those. That's if you've experienced this. If you're brand new and you're just starting from scratch, you don't have any of those assets, eliminate any variable. Look for the quickest and easiest way. And often um, it's, it's, by, it's by refusing to entertain any level of sophistication. The people who overthink it are, are the same people who say, I don't want to be sleazy. I don't want to be pushy. I don't want to come across as that kind of person. And if you're the kind of person who thinks that, you're never going to be the kind of person who does come across as sleazy or pushy. If you're even aware of it, um, then you don't need to be. That means that you've got enough emotional intelligence in order to not put people in a sticky situation. But you can also be your own worst enemy. 
you can overthink the very, very simple act of getting a sandwich board or a poster or walking up to complete strangers and saying, bookkeeping services, let me know if you need bookkeeping services. If you're a bookkeeper, I'd use the telephone, to be honest. I just get the yellow pages, call 300 people. Just So here's a concept called the Kimberly Kids Kidney concept. <laughs> people say, I can't. You know, I couldn't possibly go to the shopping mall and ask 100 people. I couldn't possibly pick up the phone 300 times and talk to complete strangers. Well, I bet you could if your kid needed a new kidney. Mm. And that was the only way they were going to get it. I bet you could then. And that's what I call the Kimberly Kids Kidney Concept because it's like people, these self-imposed limits on what we are able to do. Now, there are some things which obviously you know, maybe you will never run a three-minute mile. I understand. But I bet you'd go a lot faster <laughs> if, the, if the consequences of not doing it were great. And so it, it's worth remembering that actually we do have the ability, everybody, go to the, go to the imagine that your job is to do market research. And you're given a clipboard and you're told, walk up to 100 people in the airport and ask them where they're going and if they enjoyed their stay. Could you do it? Of course you could. Why? Because you're being paid to do it and the consequences of not doing it mean that you get fired. Well, guess what? If you are your own boss, you're also getting paid for it and the consequences of not doing it are worse than getting fired. So I think we do have this untapped reserve of ability within us that, that and, and, and my favorite question, my favorite question, What's the worst that can happen? And can I live with it? Yeah. Will I look like a fool? Yes. Can I live with it? Probably. Yeah. So is that the way you deal with rejection, that you just ask yourself what's the worst that could happen? Uh, yeah, to a certain degree. I also am very defensive when it comes to rejection. I try and avoid it by rejecting people first. So <laughs> I like to, <laughs> when I'm on a sales call now, you know, I've achieved a certain level of, confidence about the future i'm not worried necessarily and i never take anything for granted but i'm not worried that i'll be hungry next month right and so when now when i get on strategies and this has come through and people say well how'd you do that i said well i've been doing this for 15 years you know but and like kind of every day for 15 years so when i get on the sales call now i'm looking for reasons not to work with people <laughs> i'm like convince me why I should work with you. And that's a much better dynamic. But you only get there through reputation and results. Like you do want people knocking on your door. Like if you ever tried to call your favorite hairdresser, say, can you please fit me in on Saturday because I've got to go to a party. They have all the power. I try to be the power wielder now. But that comes with, that definitely comes with experience. We can take some of that. Like being detached from the outcome is super important and i find a, a mild hangover helps with that you know if you've got an important gig this was uh, i'm joking of course but you know if you if if you don't give the outcome a hundred percent of your energy in the dating world nothing less attractive than a needy suitor right please let's go on, be great let's go on a date no 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 you know we, yeah. we play slightly cool we play slightly hard to get um the game is more fun and i like that now I like, I, like, I like having fun. That's how, that's how I deal with rejection now. I try to reject first. Um, but, you know, oftentimes I, I don't like looking like an idiot. I live in Malta and, and I'm the only member of my family who doesn't speak Maltese. Because my wife is Maltese and my kids are, well, they, they will speak good Maltese soon. And so um, often to avoid being taken advantage of, and it's probably something in my head, but I'm convinced that I pay more for the fruit and veg from the guy who 
brings his van to the street than my wife pays because I can't talk to him in Maltese. It's like the tourist tax, right? Um, and so I get around that by getting my wife to do the shopping. And if you really, really, really hate selling, but you realize how important it is to you, you don't have to learn, but you must be prepared to spend other resources on it, probably money in hiring someone who can sell for you. You know, I do meet people who are like, I just don't ever want to sell again in my life. I'm like, you don't have to. But if you're not prepared to use time and energy as a currency, you must use money as a currency because money will hire you people to do all of this for you. Yeah. And to get money into the door, you have to do something right before that step. Typically, so, yes. Either way, uh, figure out how to sell because it, it helps you in every situation. It helps you with an idea you want to get across with, you know, your self-leadership. Um, usually great leaders know how to sell. They know how to connect. They know how to get their point across. So, and I, I think every entrepreneur is a leader. And I think every entrepreneur um, takes leadership not only for their customers, but for yeah. themselves, if they're going to truly experience. And often, and I really think, we talked last time about the correlation between responsibility and reward and risk and reward. Um, a, a leader is going to be prepared to do the things that other people aren't prepared to do. Yeah, That's yeah. so important. If you want to achieve unusual levels of success, then you must be prepared to do unusual things. Yes. Awesome. What a great finish of that second interview. Thank you so, so much. Let us know again where people can find you and how they need to spell your name. Absolutely. So um, last time I suggested that you go to matthewkimberley.com and sign up for my newsletter. And you can, also, you can absolutely do that. You can also type in, this is, you don't need to know how to spell, because everyone knows how to spell this, howtogetagrip.com. Howtogetagrip.com will take you to the podcast page of my website, where you can also sign up to receive all of my delightful emails. Awesome. And you can also listen to that amazing podcast. Oh, I definitely recommend that. <laughs> and sure. subscribe, right? And leave a review in iTunes. Yes. And that's exactly, exactly what you should be doing here now. Reviews, ratings, all things. Every recommendation makes a big difference. You know, we want, yes. as business owners, we want to receive referrals. Well, let's start paying it forward. You yes. want to spread the word about good things that you... So if you enjoyed this, write an email to 10 of your friends and say, hey, you should definitely subscribe to the Heart Sales Podcast. Thank you so, so much for being on the show, for being so much fun and sharing such great sales advice. Thank you for having me, Christine. I'll come back soon. Thank you. Well, what a fun episode. I just love that uh, Matthew Kimberley started out juggling, making money and finding out a way how to make more money, that he had the realization that life is more fun with money and that he also found a way how to sell from his heart to really make a big impact in this beautiful world. I hope you really, really enjoyed. Let me know what your learnings are. Hop on over to christineschlansky.com, find the podcast tab, Check out the episodes with Matthew Kimberley, 126 and 127, and just leave your comments or simply write me an email to info at christineschlansky.com and just share what you have learned. Thank you so, so much for being here. Thank you for giving your gifts to the world. I so highly appreciate you and everything you do. So if you know more amazing people in your network, if you know people that would love to have some support in creating the business and lifestyle of their dreams, 
send them over to Heart Cells Podcast. Make sure they subscribe. Make sure you subscribe so you never ever miss an episode again. And that allows me also to serve you on a much, much higher level. Thank you so much for being here. Have a wonderful day wherever you are in this beautiful world. And I'm saying bye for now. Oh,